Superchargers, headlights, and more. With over 122 million parts, eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Stay on your A-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. Welcome in. This is Cube Show, a college football podcast now brought to you by Wickles Pickles. Wickedly delicious. Find them in your local grocery store. Obviously, a lot of restaurants going to have them on their products. Go check them out. Wickles Pickles. I love them. You'll love them. Give them a try. A lot of different options. Title sponsor the show moving forward. We're excited to have them on board. Excited about the relationship. But Cube Show brought to you by now Wickles Pickles. Wickedly delicious. Hope you all had an amazing Thanksgiving and had a chance to take in as much football as humanly possible. We were loaded. Egg Bowl Thursday, uh, and then obviously Missouri, Arkansas, Florida, Florida State on Friday, and then just a slew of rivalry games on Saturday. It was a great weekend nationally as well. We kind of thought this thing was going to be slow. We weren't going to get a lot of great games. We weren't going to get a lot of upsets. There wasn't going to be a lot of change in the rankings. Then what do you know? Um we almost had all hell break loose again for the second consecutive week, but we did get some big upsets. We did get some big games. So we'll kind of take you through some of those, talk about them, just let you know what I saw in the film. Obviously, rivalry weekend. Uh, this is going on a little bit later. It took me a little bit longer to get through everything, even though I was able to catch a couple of games on Thursday, Friday, but just with not as many schools playing other SEC schools, it takes a little longer to kind of go through there and see what it is and what it's all about. Um, not going to go with a white tee today, even though apparently that's the look that I need to be gunning for. But hey, we'll try that maybe on the next time. So, uh, all right, here we go. Uh, Egg Bowl. Very interesting game, I thought. And and one that I think the weather sort of affected things a little bit later as the rain started coming down. Uh, I thought Mississippi State did a nice job getting the run game going. I thought Dylan Johnson was great in a couple of ways. I thought Dylan Johnson was great as a blocker, as a ball carrier, and a receiver. So he was kind of a three-headed monster for that Mississippi State offense. Will Rogers, not one of his better games, but he was efficient enough late, did some things when he needed to outside of that zone read fumble, which obviously let Ole Miss come down and potentially steal that game. Um, I thought he did enough sort of managing the offense to be able to put his team in position to win. But let's get to what the story really was. And that's that front seven from Mississippi State. At the end of the day, they are what made this thing happen. Um, Tyus Wheat was great. Randy Charlton, great. Obviously, the deflected shovel pass, the two-point conversion was just a phenomenal play. To be able to sort of see that thing and read it backside and get the paw out and knock it down, just an amazing play. But that group was problematic for the entire game. Um, They penetrated. They disrupted. They did not allow the interior run game to get going. And they... Zach Arnett kind of overcommitted to it a little bit. You saw a lot of guys in the box and they attacked it. So what has to happen when you do that? Your corners and safeties have to come up and make plays on the perimeter. And they did that. Emmanuel Forbes and company were really good on the outside. They limited the explosive plays. And one thing that Ole Miss does well, they create space and they find explosives. And then a lot of times doing that by getting you out of position, it just didn't really happen because I think Zach committed to attacking the middle of that offense and then relied on his guys out on the perimeter to make plays. Some of that may have been a wet track, didn't allow him to get going, but 
It was a pretty impressive performance by that defense. Um, I thought Jackson Dart actually played fairly well. He had time. He threw the ball well, and it was a wet ball. You know, he needed to be able to find a way to get it downfield. He was very efficient. And I don't know if they intended on it being that much of him from the pocket to be able to go out and try to win this football game. But he was pretty effective doing so 30 to 38. I mean, I, th- I thought he looked good throwing the ball, especially with a little bit of a wet ball. Um, Judkins almost gets to 100. I mean, by his standards, um, it, it wasn't exactly what we're used to. He busted a couple of nice runs and just not the explosive effort that we had seen seemingly almost every other game this year. Um, I think Dayton Wade's been really good for Ole Miss the last few weeks. They, they obviously designed some things for him at Arkansas to get him going. Same thing in this game. He really helped him out a little bit. Mingo's still having to move around some sort of because of the tight end issues. But at the end of the day, uh, I thought it really came down to just a couple of mistakes. They couldn't get the quarterback run going either. Uh, I I don't know if that was something that Ole Miss thought they would be able to design and get going in this game. Um, But, you know, you you gain three turnovers if you're Ole Miss. You should probably go out and win the football game. And you just couldn't find a way to get it done. So the story, I thought, was the front seven by Mississippi State and then red zone defense by Mississippi State. That included the front seven, but this is what happens sometimes on these offenses that spread you out and they go fast and they take advantage of creating space. Well, what happens when you get into the red zone? Space compresses. And you're not able to create it as much through motions, formations, or tempo, different things like that. And some of the visual deception doesn't really matter as much because if a guy's out of position, there's not as much space for you to be able to take advantage of that because of how things are compressed. Nice win for Mike Leach. First Egg Bowl win for Leach. He gets that one and takes it home on Thanksgiving night. But a competitive game, a fun game. It was a great atmosphere there. Vaughn Hemingway, uh, Ole Miss just couldn't find a way to go get it late. And uh, they finish up at 8-4, and four, as does Mississippi State. Friday, we got Florida and Florida State. And whew, this thing, I'll tell you what, first and foremost, um, I thought Doak was just off the charts on Friday night. That place sounded like, I mean, I couldn't tell if there were whistles blowing, if they were trying to stop plays. Like the entire game, it just seemingly was loud and obnoxious and felt like just an amazing environment um, there at the Doak. So Anthony Richardson, not an efficient game. Uh, The run game did get going, though. Uh, Montreal Johnson was pounding it, and then ATN busted some big ones. I feel like Florida ran duo 20 times in the first half. Um, duo, just kind of a north-south play where you focus in on double teams. It's sort of an isolation play where you get more double teams. You try to get that movement in the back, has a chance to pick which gap he wants to try and hit. And that play was going. It was rolling early. Um, you know, I, I, I felt like that was going to be something that Florida could just continue into the second half. Run game sort of ran into a wall a little bit later. Pearsall makes some nice plays, but... You know, Richardson helped with his legs some, not as much by design. He leaves the pocket and breaks that defense down a little bit. But it was the other side of the ball that was really problematic uh, for that Florida football team where defensively, once again, just felt kind of lost fitting the run. Uh, Linebackers out of position at times, defensive linemen sort of freelancing. Quarterback runs were big for Florida straight. Jordan Travis broke them down multiple times, especially on some big downs to convert when it looked as though Florida was going to have a stop. And that I think ended up really just being the difference in the game is how Florida state ran the ball, what they did on third down, the conversions they got. And a lot of that happening because of the quarterback's legs, um, you know, penalties a little bit of an issue for Florida in this game. I mean, what do we have nine plays from inside the 15 at one point on a single possession? It was a weird game. 
there were some questionable calls both ways. You cannot deny that. Some that obviously would have been a little bit different for how maybe the game played out for Florida. But at the end of the day, a fun game, exciting game, hell of a game, rivalry game, but just that Florida defense. Uh, I thought Amari Bernie played well, uh, did some things that I liked. You know, he was active. He moved around a little bit. Trey Dean had a nice game. But, you know, at the end of the day, you're out of position as much as they were. You over-pursue as much as they did. You're not going to be able to get enough stops. 45-38, Florida State takes that win. And Florida finishes the season on 6-6. Six and six. I don't know if Billy really makes staff changes. If he does, I think potentially on defense. Uh, recruiting seems like it's coming around. But I don't know if 6-6 six and six is where a lot of people thought that thing would be, just with the overall talent level on that football team. The depth is not there. But the talent level is still pretty good and probably one that people thought they could go past six wins. Uh, also on Friday, a little bit of a surprise with the Arkansas and Missouri game. And I think when we talked about this one, especially McElroy and I on our radio show throughout the week, you know, we tried to warn people that this was a really dangerous game. A couple of reasons. One, Arkansas gets bowl eligible last week. Missouri had to have this win to get bowl eligible this week. Well, that sort of emotionally puts things in a little bit of a different place. Well, then you also look at that Missouri defensive line and how disruptive they have been. I tell you, um, Isaiah McGuire off the edge, unbelievable. Uh, he had multiple pass rush, re- pass rush wins and one-on-one. He was able to consistently get to the quarterback, but it really wasn't just him. I mean, that group, Blake Baker's had that D-line ripping all year. They have penetrated, disrupted, caused problems. I mean, they have been really good the entire season, and they were a problem again. And I thought that Missouri tackled well. I thought they got into the backfield and did good things. I thought the linebackers, Tyron Harper was solid. Uh, Martez Manuel coming down, making plays. But the defensive line is what makes it happen for that defense. And whether it was winning one-on-one pass rush situations, different looks that Blake Baker gave them, able to bring pressure, cause problems, or just individually different defensive linemen. It feels like they're all single digits and they all spend time in the backfield. And they did it again against Arkansas. So from an Arkansas perspective, you still found a little bit going in the run game. And a lot of that really is just because of Rocket Sanders. Um, I didn't think it was one of the offensive line's better performances, specifically in pass pro. KJ didn't have a lot of time to operate. He was still 20 to 27, but I think what happened was that kept him from pushing the ball down the field. So they weren't able to find as many explosives through the passing game, and he was able to go out and do some different things, sometimes with his legs, sometimes on checkdowns, but not explosive as that offense is used to being. Uh, You go back to offensively, with Rocket Sanders, I, he's one of the best backs I've seen sort of be able to get skinny, find a crease, and then get north and south with authority. He's he, he's impeccable at how he utilizes patience. and It's almost a little bit Le'Veon Bellish. I don't think he's quite as shifty as Le'Veon Bell, but just the way that he sort of waits and, and sees things and then, boom, gets north and south, it's really fun to watch. He's, just, he's a solid back, but... Couldn't get him going to the extent that they had in the majority of games this year. I felt like that sort of slowed him down. They had an opportunity late, had possession to be able to go and get it, and you couldn't. Defensively, the problem was the rushing attack that Missouri brought to the table. Um, The stretch play going early, so Missouri widens you out, and then they try to hit you with some things north and south. 
but then it was wide you out, and then also quarterback run going to the backside. Brady Cook did a nice job breaking that defense down, sometimes just leaving the pocket, a lot of times by design. And one thing I thought Eli Drinkwitz did in this game was he used formations to steal yards. So you saw multiple tight ends to one side of the ball. You saw overload sets, and then he was either a quick throw out to the other side or an outside run to the opposite side where the defense had not properly aligned or wasn't ready for it. And then all of a sudden, you basically have a ton of space. You have free run to go get six, eight, ten yards. That was solid. Get into the hands of Dominic Lovett, Mookie Cooper early. I like that. Let your playmakers get going. Let them try to make some plays. But a nice win at home for Missouri is now Coach Drink is going to get bowl eligible. Arkansas already there. Both of those teams finished six and six. I thought Drew Sanders still had a nice game for the Razorbacks. Thought he did some good things. Uh, Chris Paul Jr. has been really good for Arkansas the last couple of weeks at linebacker. Uh, a guy that I noticed against Ole Miss a couple of weeks ago on film, getting ready for that game and in that game, he's been solid. Georgia handles Georgia Tech 37-14. They finished the season undefeated. That's back-to-back undefeated regular seasons. Um, and just really an, an impressive win. Uh, sort of a slow start. Georgia Tech pops out, gets the lead early. Georgia missed a couple of things down the field off some play action stuff. Some quarterback runs, maybe scrambles, sort of took them off coverage a little bit. And Tech able to steal a few things. Uh, but I thought the story in this game was, once again, sort of a lower-risk game plan for Kirby on both sides of the ball and able to win in a dominant fashion. It's two weeks in a row they've been able to do that. And even if the scoreboard didn't say it as much last week, to me it was because when your opponent never feels like they have an opportunity to get in or win a game, I view that as a dominant victory. And they had it again against Georgia Tech. Took a little bit longer to become dominant, but it ended up being that. Kenny McIntosh, great again. Offensive line, slow start. And I think they, once again, leaned on the gap scheme stuff, and then it got going. McIntosh out of the backfield, taking advantage of some coverage problems. And then here you go. They're able to go out and find a way to get a dominant win at home, finish 12-0. and 0. Um, it, was, it wasn't you know super exciting. They got Brock Bowers going early. I really like that. I like 19 getting into the mix early on because I think it forces a defense to think about him, maybe pay too much attention to him, and that's going to what's going to open up some of the other stuff. But you didn't see Georgia overly aggressive at the line of scrimmage, didn't have to overcommit at the line of scrimmage, and I thought that really helped them out in the second half, be able to sort of make a few adjustments, second, third level, and be able to slow down Tech's offense. Uh, the surprise of the day, well, there are a couple. One uh, was LSU over Texas A&M. 38-23, they get it at home. LSU had so much to play for. Obviously, they're still going to be in the SEC championship game. They finished the regular season at 9-3. and Still probably past most of our expectations for what we thought LSU would be. We knew they were a talented football team. Just didn't know they could reach the heights that they did. But some weird losses are going to be on that schedule. They're going to haunt that, that team, that coaching staff in the offseason. This is going to be one of them. Now, a couple of things for AM. Having A-Chain back, massive. And it really makes you go back and look at a sloppy win against UMass, loss against Auburn, where you didn't have Devon A-Chain. How different could that have been? Because he showed you in this game with 215 yards on 38 carries, he is that guy. Um he may be the player that has extended more than I thought than anybody else in college, in the SEC. One of the guys in college football this year knew he was flashy, knew he had speed, but just what he has become as an overall back. And specifically, when you watched him in pass pro a couple of times in this game, he proves to you that he's a complete back. And he can do all the things that an SEC running back is going to be asked to do. Some of the cutbacks I thought were great. I thought Jimbo did a really nice job. He and Daryl Dickey. Actually saw some motion happen in this game. 
players being moved around, different formations, hide the tight end in the B gap a little bit, throw it off when he comes across flat across the line of scrimmage out in the flat on the opposite side. Some of the misdirection had LSU thinking a little bit. They stole yards, they created matchups, and they kept it fairly simple for Connor Wigman. They moved the pocket for him a little bit, some quick throws, quick ball distribution. He got a couple of jump balls that went his way that were massive. And what do you know? Texas A&M knocks off LSU at home. Defensively, did a really nice job in a couple areas. First off, McKinley Jackson up front, 35 for Texas A&M. Good God Almighty. Looked like a human wrecking ball in this game. And I've said for a long time, when I watched the film, it's funny, I talked to Kendall Simmons uh, when I had the Auburn A&M game a couple of weeks ago, former Auburn offensive lineman, one of the best to ever do it. And I said, which guy up front for A&M would you least like to face? And he kind of looked at me and smiled and he goes, 35? I was like, yeah, you know it. Because he's just, he's wide, shorter, stocky build, but he's quick. And those guys that are lower to the ground that can, even if they're getting high, their pads are still low, that are just built like a boulder and can laterally move like Jackson can, dudes are a handful. And he was an absolute handful in this game. I thought the entire AM defensive line did a nice job disrupting. But the key was what LSU does really well is create space. So they have the receiver talent to spread you out. And the quarterback's gotten really good at the quick hitters. Boom, boom, boom. Get the ball out. That hurts you in a couple of ways. One, catch and run. So they can take slants. They can take a hitch, make your DB miss, and then it's off to the races. They've been great with that all year. A&M tackled extremely well. They didn't allow the catch and run. And the second thing they didn't allow, the back-breaking quarterback runs. Because Jaden Daniels, in almost every win for LSU this year, has had multiple back-breaking runs. And if you're going to go point out two or three runs he had of 15, 25 yards, whatever it was late in the game, the game was out of hand. I don't care. It doesn't break your back when it doesn't help the team win the game. So those, I'm not even not even referring to anything like that. But early in the game, they limited those. And he had some design cue runs, left the pocket a couple of times, but AM never let it break their back. The defense didn't. I thought that was key. I thought tackling the receivers was key. And the way that defensive line disruptive was massive. And this is an AM offensive line, by the way, that's inexperienced and young. It wasn't a dominant performance. Uh, I, you know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna send this one to the Joe Moore War Committee and say, "Good God, you need to see this." Um, I don't think anybody's gonna be showing this in a clinic and saying that this is the way every offensive line needs to play. But they managed a really good front, a front that has dominated a lot of teams this year. And one of the other things, and I wonder if LSU maybe is getting a little reliant on Harold Perkins just making explosive plays. He had one big play in the backfield, but. He didn't have the four or five splash plays like we've seen him have here down the stretch. And you just have to wonder if a couple of those guys are kind of sitting back, well, Forty's going to make a play or Forty's going to make this happen. And it just didn't come this time because I thought, well, one, A&M did a good job compressing things. So what A&M did a good job of, they compressed some of their sets and then hit some things out on the perimeter quickly. Missouri did a good job of that against Arkansas as well. Compressed sets get the ball out quick on the perimeter, you'll find a one-on-one. Hopefully your playmaker can make a play in space. So I thought Jimbo had a really nice plan. Different formations, motions, move the pocket, made life easy on his young quarterback where they didn't put the game on Connor Wigman. And I respect that. I like that. I thought that's probably what you had to do to win, especially with A-Chain coming back. And it was a solid performance. The other big surprise 
Clemson and South Carolina. Goodness gracious. Spencer Rattler goes off again. Uh, by the way, AM finishes five and seven regular season, LSU nine and three. They'll see George in the SEC championship game. South Carolina, Clemson. Clemson goes to 10 and two. South Carolina's going to finish eight and four. Eight wins for Shane Beamer. Absolutely remarkable. Just unbelievable what he's been able to accomplish this year. And I'm not going to lie to you. There was some good fortune in this game for South Carolina. There's really no way around it. Um, ball bounced away a couple of times. Two horrific mistakes by Spencer Rattler. And I thought both of them, at least the interception in the end zone, were the epitome of a quarterback saying, I will throw the ball here before the ball snapped. And when a quarterback declares that to himself, oftentimes it's going to be trouble. You saw Spencer Rattler come out of that fake. He turned. Tries to throw the ball to the back of the end zone, and literally a Clemson defender intercepts the ball from another Clemson defender in front of the receiver who never had a shot to catch that football. But he bounced back, made some big throws late. I love offensively how Satterfield's moving guys around Jaheim Bell in the slot, in the backfield. You're t- you saw some of the some of the side to side. Didn't even hand it off as much as they did the previous week to Tennessee, but you get the eyes of the defense going east and west, and that opens some things up down the field. And one thing that won't show up in the stats that I'll say, one thing I thought Spencer Rattler did a great job of, because the offensive line didn't play lights out. It wasn't an amazing game by that group. Tennessee game, amazing game by the offensive line. Spencer Rattler did a really nice job of avoiding pressure and getting the ball out. He didn't take sacks. And he was able to throw the ball away, live to fight another day. I mean, it's now that would be some clinic film to show a young quarterback to say, and it's not exciting. It's not fun. It's not cool. It's not the things everybody's going to talk about. But I'm going to tell you five or six times in this game, in bigger moments, Spencer Rattler avoids some pressure, steps up, moves to the side, gets the ball out. Offense lives to fight another day. And so overcoming the two big mistakes, being able to do that, and being able to distribute the ball to his playmakers, specifically Juice Wells, who was unbelievable in this game for the Gamecocks, they go get a massive win. This is a program-changing win for Shane Beamer. Nobody thought, I think there were 14.5-point dogs in this game. No one thought they were getting this win in the end of 40-home game winning streak against South Carolina. I think Clemson had won seven straight. They end that streak as well. They get to 8-4 and in the regular season. Chance to get to nine wins in a bowl game. Wow. Defensive line. For South Carolina, a little bit sporadic, but stepped up and made some plays. Jordan Birch was in the backfield a little bit. Tonka Hemingway did some things. Uh, So I thought all in all, and they got Marshawn Lloyd back, and he didn't have a huge game, but I just wonder, having him back, if that didn't just help sort of put some folks' mind at ease on that South Carolina offense throughout the course of that game. Um, But it was a nice one. Zach Pickens did some good things up front for that Carolina defense as well. Huge win for the Gamecocks. Huge win for Shane Beamer. Um, also on Saturday, uh, Louisville, Kentucky, sort of a ho-hum win, not super exciting. I thought Will Levis was efficient, thought he didn't go out and try to do too much, kind of took what was there. Tight ends had a really nice game offensively, both catching the ball and in the run game. Chris Rodriguez, dominant again. Good performance by that Kentucky offensive line who's been up and down this year. Listen, it's been an up and down year for Kentucky in general. It just has. Levis has been beat to shit. He's been all over the place, but he's toughed it out and he's grinded it out and he's tried to help his team go win football games. Rodriguez out early. Then he comes back. 
beginning to turn into the back that we know he can be. The offensive line has sort of struggled. Defense has been fairly solid for the majority of the year, but this is an important one, an important game because there are not a lot of things that you can point to to say, oh, we're super excited about this with this season for Kentucky like you have been in the last four or five years, but you get a rivalry win. And you go get to seven and five, a chance to get to eight wins in a bowl game. Good year or good way to finish here after dropping two straight coming into this game. And, you know, defensively, not great against the run, made life difficult through the air. Brad White did a good job kind of sitting back on it because I think he knew you know, he's a little bit bent, but don't break anyway. Knew they weren't going to be able to take the top off. He understood that. You get a couple chunks on the ground. So what is what it is. You go out there and you get a win. And you get to seven and five, and you'll go to a bowl game. Uh, Tennessee Vandy game that we had. Um, what was the pizza place that we went to uh, Friday night? They had pizza and burgers. Um, I cannot recall the name of that place, but it was um, it was solid in Nashville. They have like the most like an award winning uh, burger, like best burger in Nashville in 2019. Emmy squared was the place that we went on Friday night. It was fantastic. Uh, they do like Detroit style pizza. It was thick. Pizza was, pizza was good. Pretty good above average, but the burger, whoo, amazing. Uh, some of the apps, like the little fries that they had, mozzarella sticks, really good spot. The entire crew went out. Crew did a great job. We had rain the entire game, but they made it fun, made it good. Tennessee blows out Vanderbilt 56 to zero run game going. Uh, Joe Milton right out of the gate. Hits a deep ball to Jalen Hyatt. This was important for a lot of reasons. And the way it actually ends up, maybe it doesn't matter. But talking to Alex Golish and talking to Josh Heupel going into this game, one thing that they told us is, I mean, Golish told us we are taking a shot early. We had great conversations about shot plays and what they mean to Tennessee. Because I think it's hilarious when people watch Tennessee games and they see you know, early in the year, Hendon Hooker, middle of the year, Hendon Hooker miss a couple shot plays early. And they're like, oh, Hendon's off, Hendon's off. Doesn't matter. And they're very 2019 LSU-ish. Not the same style offense. I get it. I'm not saying the offenses operate the same, but in the fact that they continue to throw haymakers the entire game. They're going to take shots the whole game. And it does so much. And Goals tried to explain to us, it was really cool hearing him talk about how he watches the body language of the DB after that first shot play. And he said, I can usually tell, do I need to go back to it right away? And then on top of that, even if you miss it, like you saw, they missed one and got a pass interference. Okay, that's a win. If you miss it and overthrow it or bring a receiver too far in or throw it out of bounds, the safety still have to play back and they still have to play out. What does that do? Opens up the middle of the field. Tennessee tight end has been really good work in the middle of the field this year, and it helps in the run game because Tennessee is a conflict offense. You have to decide with your overhang defenders, your alley defenders, are they going to play out by the numbers because the splits are so wide? Or are they going to play in and try to take advantage of the run? I'm not sure it would have mattered in this game for Vanderbilt because pretty much everything was working for Josh Heupel, Joe Milton, Alex Golish, and the entire Tennessee offense. Milton, 11-21, 147, but they run for 362. Jalen Wright went nuts. Dylan Sampson went nuts. I think there were four 50-yard runs in the game for Tennessee. I mean, it was just boom, 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 out the gate. The run game was incredible. And think about this for Tennessee coming into this game. He had four DBs out, and Mike Wright, A.J. Swan, couldn't really take advantage of that. They only throw for 107 yards. 
And then the offensive line is just beat to hell and back during the course of this game. Mincy doesn't start. You have two other starters go out during the game. A third starter goes out and comes back in, and you still rush for 362? Very impressive performance because the big question coming in, let's just be real, where was this team mentally and emotionally? All right, you get blown out by South Carolina. Everything coming up to this game, playoff, 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 for what, six weeks, seven weeks? And all of a sudden, that's almost not even a discussion at all. Or it's such a micro discussion that it'll be very difficult to use that to motivate anyone. Then you also just wonder with Hendon Hooker going out, man, that's our leader. That's our guy. That's the person that's got us here. Like now what? And you go out and put out a performance like that. You win a rivalry game. You get to 10 wins. First time since 2003. And you put up another dominant score. I think four times this year, five times this year, Tennessee has hit 56 or more points. No other team's done it more than two times. Really impressive. Year two under Josh Heupel, you're at 10 wins, chance to get to 11 in a bowl game, and they're going to go to a really good bowl game. So Tennessee fans should be elated, should be excited. It was an impressive performance. And also, I like the defensive line for Tennessee. Uh, Coach Gardner doing a really nice job. And when you watch this game, I thought maybe they were attacking north and south a little bit more than they have, but did a really nice job up front with Latrell Bumpus. I thought he was nice. They got Jeremy Banks back at linebacker. I think that helped a little bit. But, you know, DJ Terry, good job sort of penetrating and disrupting. The, the whole front did a really nice job making life difficult on this Vanderbilt football team. Ray Davis couldn't get going. Uh, I still think he's one of the most underrated players in the league. They just they, they couldn't find any balance, and that allowed Tennessee to really just play downhill, really attack up front defensively, and it, it just it makes things really tough to find a different way to get things going. So a nice win for Tennessee, impressive win for Tennessee, and obviously they get out of there and finish the season strong. Alabama gets the 10 wins again. What is this, uh, 15 straight years at 10 wins, whatever it is? It's unbelievable what Coach Saban has done. The Iron Bowl is special. The Iron Bowl is unique. The Iron Bowl means a lot. And I still think the Auburn kids played hard. I think Carnell emotionally had them going. I give him a lot of credit for that. I give the kids a lot of credit for responding to him in a difficult situation. But ultimately, for Auburn, this was about balance offensively. And they could not find it. You knew it was going to be tough. But you were going to have to hit a few things down the field. There was absolutely nothing from the pocket. And I didn't think Auburn needed to hit 21 to 28 from the pocket. We knew Robbie wasn't going to be that guy, but it just wasn't there. And you were going to have to have some of it because that's what Alabama was going to give you and what you were going to be able to take. Now, the flip side of that, where you had to feel good was the design of the offense was really cool. New formations, new plays. Like they had the one formation with like the, the two tight ends lined up as kind of up backs to the left and you bring the ball across the line of scrimmage. But you saw guys get the ball in different ways, a lot of misdirection, a lot of different formations. So that's how we we thought going in. How do you get Alabama? You formation them, formation them into the boundary, and you give them misdirection, and you steal their eyes and let them over pursue. And they did a lot of that, and it was working, and it was going. I thought the tight ends blocked well. Both Deal and Shanker looked really good in the run game, kind of helping out. Um, but you weren't just going to be able to live and die on that for the entire game, not with that explosive of an offense on the other side of the field. Um, I thought the Auburn offensive line was okay. Uh, Jaheim Otis played really well for Alabama. Uh, 91 was good inside. 31 and 15 both played really well for Alabama. Auburn struggled with the edge defenders. 
Um, you knew pass pro one-on-one. That's just not, this is not going to happen. The Auburn tackles uh, hadn't been great there all year. And those are two of the best that you're going to see anywhere in college football. Um, but they forced those linebackers to be out of place. And I thought Hunter ran the ball. Well, thought tank ran the ball. Well, Robbie, when asked to run, he ran the ball. Well, uh, and you got a couple of things in the passing game, just not enough. And it needed more down the field to create some explosives. Um, the muff punt, which didn't look like it was touched and the Hunter fumble. I thought that was really the dagger. You just, you were not, this team was not going to be able to overcome those type of mistakes against a really good Alabama football team on the road. And you give Alabama credit. They did some nice things to go steal this game too. Bryce Young was exceptional. Thought he played really good football. His movement is just, it makes things so different and so difficult. Um, you know, there were times when Auburn had no pass rush. The pass rush wasn't consistent, but there were times that they got it. Derek Hall got home a few times. Marquise Burks got home a few times. And you just, they're not able to get him to the ground. And it's frustrating to watch. Uh, I thought Jeff Schmetting did a good job finding a way to add some pressures. But once again, Bryce would escape and then be able to find some. Uh, you know, Jameer Gibbs ran the ball well. But I didn't think that the offensive line was just gashing the Auburn front. You know, he just kind of, he would bounce a little bit, find a seam, find a space. The Alabama offensive line did do a good job staying locked on their double teams a little bit longer. Even if there wasn't legitimate movement, they stayed with it, forcing the linebackers to make a decision because Gibbs is so shifty, and that opened up space for him. Gap scheme runs early. Bill O'Brien smart for doing that. Auburn hadn't fit gap scheme runs well the entire season. Then they go out and they're able to have some success. The turnovers really were the end. And, um, you know, that's that's Auburn not going to be bowl eligible as far as the record's concerned. You can say whatever you want, uh, you know, from APR and all that. But I give Cornell Williams a lot of credit for what he did, um, how he brought the team together, making a positive out of a lot of negative late in the season. Emotionally, he got the kids invested. You hear about the things that they're doing off the field as well, how they're getting their act together and doing things right because of how he's leading them. So regardless of what happens with the head coach, I know for me, I hope that he's still a part of things moving forward. And, you know, one part of this is we we don't even know if he wants to try to attack becoming the Auburn head football coach. We haven't heard that from him. So um, whatever happens, wherever it goes, he did an amazing job and he deserves a ton of credit for that. So now we get the SEC championship game. We'll come back next Sunday. We'll review that. Maybe look at some bowl placement for some SEC teams. Talk about some of those matchups. When those are out, we'll obviously preview those. We'll go through bowl season every Sunday because I'm excited to tell you guys that we're brought to you by Wickles Pickles. And Wickles Pickles, the title sponsor of the show. Wickles Pickles is going to be the sponsor for us for the next year. So this will be Cube Show brought to you by Wickles Pickles wickedly delicious you can get them in your local grocery store i'm a fan i have them i know there's a lot of places around town where i live like soho social they got them on their burger everywhere you go jacks has a burger with them on there they're fantastic Uh, i'll eat them out of the jar put them on a burger put them on a sandwich we have people over put them on the charcuterie board if you want to try to go do that but wickles pickles now the title sponsor of the show and i'm excited to have them excited to bring them in excited by the partnership moving forward and they're going to do a great job, and uh, maybe we'll find a way to get you guys some here in the near future. So go out and grab some Wickles Pickles. They are the sponsor of the show. We try to keep it tight. We tell you what we saw. We tell you how it went. We talk straight football, and that's just what we try to get to. Not a whole lot of BS, not a whole lot of the other stuff. So thanks for tuning in. Appreciate you guys this year. We got started late this year. We're obviously going to be back next year. But like I said, we got coaching hires. 
We got coaches getting fired. We got bowl games, SEC championship game. We're going to be here every Sunday giving you some sort of college football information. As for now, it's still going to be SEC review as we head through the end of the season. Maybe even college football playoffs, national championship game. We'll get that for you as well as we break down what we see on film and try to give you the X's and O's of everything. Cube Show brought to you by Wickles Pickles. We'll be back next week. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.